Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible open to 1 Samuel chapter 28, 1 Samuel chapter 28, we'll continue on working our way through the Old Testament this year. This morning, uh, this chapter could be um, tough, not that it's uh, hard, but emotionally it's difficult to see where Saul has ended up in his life. It's nothing to be ashamed of, rather the aim this morning is that you'll remember where your help comes from. The scripture points us to the Lord. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and we don't want to forget that. In 1993, I won't tell you what um, grade I was in, but my freshman year of high school, uh, Little Texas came out with a song entitled, What Might Have Been. Some of you may know that song. You're probably starting to sing it in your head. Just don't do it out loud, or we'll put you up here with the choir or the praise team. But that song is about two people who took different paths in life, and uh, at least one of them is thinking about the other and what might have been. A sad little song ends by this line, singing this line, and there's no way to know what might have been. No, we'll never know what might have been. Well, this morning is the conclusion of the story of King Saul's life, and it's a sad tale of what could have been, might have been, but was not. As he's making a wrong turn down a dead-end street, and by his own doing, it's too late for him to turn back. So if you will stand with me as I read from the Word of God this morning, I'm going to read down to verse 7. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know that you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and uh, and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we come before you this morning and have been blessed to sing your praises led by our team, Lord, we come now to your word. And as we hear From your word, it is my prayer that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, speak to your church, 
And that when he speaks, we as your people will listen, that we will understand, that we will trust and obey. Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we have not provide for us and what we are not, make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. What we find in Saul, I think, is captured by um, another country song. Sorry, this is going to be the sermon of country music. You just get over it. Um, Saul's a desperate man. He's a desperate man who is a hopeless man. I've found, I, I don't listen to Eric Church, but um, his song popped up when uh, began looking for that phrase, desperate man, and it, he sings it, uh, the, the, the chorus or the verse and chorus go like this, I've seen the Joshua tree, got down on my knees, through the virgin mother of prayer, I've walked glass barefooted, strolled across the devil's hot coal, I've tried everything I swear, oh but hey, hey, what can I say, I'm a desperate man. I said, hey, hey, what can I say? I'm just a desperate man. One of the songwriters of that song actually had gone to visit a fortune teller um, sometime before he wrote that. And the song talks a little bit about that experience. And that fortune teller could not tell him what his future was. Uh, she could not see it. Saul is a desperate man. He's in that stage of his life where the end is coming. We can look back over his life and don't want to beat him up too much, but, you know, uh, I sure wouldn't want anybody to beat me up like this, but I certainly can find it in my life. He had a great start. He had a great start. He had some victories early on over the Philistines as his tenure as king. We even find out that he, in this passage, that he had moved um, some of the, the religious necromancers, the mediums out of the land who were participating in magic and trying to communicate with the dead and all of these things. So what we find in Saul is that he actually did have a zeal or a passion for the law of God. Somehow, somewhere in there, that was, that was true. The law found in Leviticus 19 and chapter 20 both have things to say. Both verses have things to say about this particular line of work. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. The next one, Leviticus 20, verse 6 says, If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. So Saul, in his reign as king of Israel, had issued a decree, an edict, to remove those people from Israel. All the nations around them have this. They all participate in this. It's a form of their religion. Uh, you know, it's, it's demonic is what it is. Um, but for Saul, there is an excitement, at least on some level, a passion for the religious things. But that kind of excitement, excitement and, and passion for the law does not make you close with God. It did not make Saul close with his God, which is the God of Scripture. Saul had a zeal for the word. He had a zeal for the law, but he lacked obedience to it. It's like he knew it, but it didn't connect to his life. It didn't connect to it like he knew it to pass a test, if you will, but it didn't connect to his life and his actions. He lacked that heart devotion for the Lord, which we see in David, and we'll see somewhat in Solomon. But because of that, because he lacked that special relationship with the Lord, 
It wasn't long before Saul would get into trouble. And the more he gets into, the tr- into trouble, the more desperate he is. And rather than being driven by faith, he becomes to a place where he's driven by fear. It's not a man of God. Hey, hey, he's a desperate man. And he, in the end, he's all alone. David is not around. David, as the opening of this chapter says, he's actually hanging out with the Philistines. Why? Because he was running for his life. And he found some safety there. For a time, he's, in the next chapter or two, he's going to go back and run away for escape from them. But for now, that's where David is. So David is not around to help Saul at all. Not that Saul would take it. Saul would probably try to kill him again. All right? That relationship is done. Samuel is dead, the scripture says. And now what we have here is Saul being just completely alone. Those who have helped him in the past gone. The priests are gone. His hopeless situation grows only more so by the moment. When we look at verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. That is a man who is alone. That is a man who is being driven by fear. Fear is in his heart. Fear has captured his thoughts. And he is, oh, hey, a desperate man. And what cranks up the fear even more is when he turns to God for help. Mm, Rescue. He turns to God. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams, by Urim, or by prophets. Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. If you have a highlighter or a pen or pencil, I want you to underline, circle verse 6, do something to draw your attention to that. It is the heart of the story. He is apart from the Lord. David's gone. Samuel's dead. He's trying to inquire of the Lord, find out what's going on, but yet in his life he is apart from God. He's been living apart from God. When you're traveling down that road apart from God, fear is going to drive you rather than faith. In fact, as I was reading this this week and and going through it, Saul reminded me of what the Apostle Paul wrote to Pastor Timothy in that second letter about people in his day and time and how they would not want to hear the truth or listen to the truth In fact, one of the most dangerous aspects of people in Timothy's day and even in our day is found in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, where he said, they have an appearance of godliness but deny his power. They look like it on the outside, but on the inside, Jesus would say, there's dead man bones. There's no life. They deny God's power. And uh, Paul tells Timothy, you should avoid such people. That's exactly who Saul is. He's chased after the religion. He's checked some of the boxes that, uh, of, his, of the law. He, he got rid of the mediums, the necromancers. So he, he's done some good things. But we might say, but he's turned to the Lord. I mean, isn't he? That's what he should have done, right? Isn't that what you do in times of trouble? Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, right? But perhaps Saul should think back to the days, the earlier days when Samuel would make him wait so that he could tell Saul the word of the Lord. But it wasn't that long ago in his story that Samuel made him wait and Saul grew impatient waiting on Samuel so he stepped in for himself and inquired of the Lord. 
that was one of the beginning steps of his downfall. And we look at this situation again, the scripture says the prophets were silent. They're not speaking. That role of the prophet is one who speaks to the people of God on behalf of God. The dreams were quiet. We know, having read through some of the Old Testament, about half of it so far, we know that God has spoken to men like Joseph, Jacob, and others through dreams. God has given him the ability to interpret those dreams and help others like Pharaoh interpret those dreams. But the dreams are quiet. The Urim, the Urim is a part of the, the, the priest's uh, uh, breastplate. And it was a process they would use. We're not real clear on exactly what that was, but it was a an okayed by God process to figure out the will of God. The priest, only the priest could do that. Exodus talks about that, that process. But they were, it was used to determine the will of God. But all the priests were killed, except for one. And they were killed by the order of Saul. And now he needs them and they're not around. The surviving priest is with David. Right? And then God himself, God was not speaking. God was not answering Here's another country music reference for you. Garth Brooks' song, Unanswered Prayers. This is not that kind of song for Saul. I thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, no. He wants an answer from God, and God's not answering him. I can think of no place worse than not being able to hear from the Lord because he's not answering. He's silent. Friend, Saul was in a bad place. He's walking down a, a dark alley with no one around him told the service earlier this morning, I was like, you know, if I was going down a dark alley, I'd want some dudes around me. Those dudes are in this church. There's some, some intimidating dudes in this body, and I want them on my side, not some other side, somebody else's side. I'll, I'll stand behind them. I'll let them go forward. That, that's how that's going to work. No. Saul doesn't have that. He's by himself. He's roughed up internally. His heart is a mess. Samuel is dead. The voice of God is silent. Now we also see the Philistines are advancing on him. There is no light at the end of his tunnel. It's a tunnel that just keeps on going, and it just, it's just dark. What is he going to do? This is another crossroads for Saul. He's had these moments in his life of leading Israel where it was going to be faith or it was going to be fear. What is he going to do? Well, he turned to the Lord, but as Alistair Begg pointed out, he had a backup plan. He had a backup plan, and that backup plan, unfortunately, is looking for answers in all the wrong places. Look at verse 7. Saul said to his servants, okay, verse 6, God is, he's inquired of the Lord. The Lord is not answering him. So now he says this, seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, behold, there is one at Endor. That's his backup plan. He's going to go find somebody he had already previously kicked out of the kingdom He's going to go find her. He sends his men to go find her. A medium from Endor. Someone who can talk to the dead, supposedly. Some translations call her a witch. Either way, she's not an Ewok, okay? Sorry, Star Wars isn't in the Bible. Either way, he started well. He started well. He had eradicated the mediums and necromancers, and now he's going to them for answers. He wants some kind of sense of security in this. He's looking for some kind of security that the Philistines are not going to overwhelm him and, and, and that this is not actually going to be the end of his life. Saul was commended at one point for his stance on the subject of the necromancy and, and, and the mediums. 
What's good for the goose isn't good for the gander here. And so he's going against his own edict. He's motivated by fear. There's nothing in his heart anymore to check him in that moment. That's one of those things as the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in us when we are in that place of temptation that he puts that check in our heart, that pause, that holy pause to make us think twice. What does God want me to do here? What does God's word say? There's nothing here in that moment for Saul. I appreciate the way J.D. Greer pointed out out of this text that those who are religious It's those who are religious who are most often afraid. I'm checking all the boxes. Doesn't that get me something? I'm checking all the boxes. I mean, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm attending, I'm tithing, I'm doing da-da-da-da-da, on down the list. I remember as a kid, we had those little white Sunday school envelopes. And man, I, I didn't do a single box on that envelope, but I checked them every Sunday just in case somebody was watching the preacher's kid. I didn't want to get in trouble. I was a preacher's kid. They believed me. As if something good were going to come of that. But what are we afraid of? Well, we're afraid of financial ruin. We're afraid of of health problems. We're afraid of other people's opinions of us. Job loss, loss of peace, prosperity. Certainly, death. And I would encourage you that if you are persistently afraid and living in that place in fear rather than faith and trusting God, please hear the truth of 1 John chapter 4. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That love is perfected, my friends, in Christ Jesus. Christ drives that away. Why? Because he is Lord. He is sovereign over it. He is powered over it. Well, the medium of Endor, he's approached by Saul. She doesn't know it's Saul because why? He is in disguise. He's disguised himself and they go at night. If there is ever a statement of Saul's not just physical appearance, but spiritual condition, it is that. He is disguised and he's going at night. Look at this man. Once king of Israel, still king of Israel, head and shoulders above everyone else, feared on some level because of that. There's no spear. If you've been reading along, you know his spear is gone. His crown, his cloak is torn. There's nothing about him that speaks hope. There's nothing about him that speaks this man is God's man. In fact, he's hopeless. Well, he goes to that medium of Endor and he gets his answer, the answer that he is seek. Well, it's not the answer he wants, but he gets his answer. When he approaches the medium, she balks at first. It's like one last chance. That's verse 9. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the medians and necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? It's like one last chance for Saul to get out of this. And even by her asking this, we can clearly see she's actually acting more righteous than he is. He says, ah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Neither I nor the Lord will come after you. There's no vengeance here. So he says, please bring up Samuel. And here comes Samuel. Now, before you pull out your phones and start emailing me all your questions, why is this lady bringing Samuel from the dead? I'll reference Alistair Begg again in his warning. 
or I'll let you know what I think is actually happening. In the study of hermeneutics, which is how we come to Scripture and work on the interpretation of Scripture, he, he likes to say this, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Okay? So, if you think about your street where the garbage truck comes down and he passes up your garbage can and he's got a reverse and you know what happens next. Beep, 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 beep. Like caution, caution, watch out, get out of the way, smelling thing coming through, don't get in my way, I can't stop it, you know, get out, keep out. Here's one of those places where if you let your curiosity run wild, you can mess up the clarity of the main thing. We also have a tendency to want to fill in the blanks in Scripture where the Bible doesn't say how it happened. Okay, So be careful in doing that. There's a number of scholars who love to fill in all the blanks of Scripture. We have to be careful. Like, Well, for instance, like the book of Revelation. We need to be careful. You be careful wading out too far in our speculation. Just let the text speak. That's what I've learned, and that's what I try to do. The truth is we don't know how Samuel appeared in this moment, but here is what happened. Samuel appeared. Did she summon him? Oh, I think not. I don't think so because she's freaked out. What is happening is not normal for her. She's, she's, she knows. Like, she's freaked out. Why? Well, one, it's Samuel. If you go back and read through 1 Samuel, Samuel is, has been known to take down people like her and to, to wipe them out. And she also sees Samuel coming, and she knows that, hey, this isn't some John Doe from down the street just hiding in disguise. This is Saul. This is the king of Israel. So she's really afraid. The one who kicked her out of her home, now she's like, she's stressed too. She's even called him out on it. And he says, what do you see? And she, Scripture says that she sees what appears to be a God. What, what, Saul wants to know, what, what does he look like? He's an old man coming up wrapped in a robe. Oh, what's the significance of that, the robe? Well, you'll remember back when Saul begged Samuel to come with him. And at that point, Samuel was done with Saul because he knew God was done with him. He begged and pleaded, Samuel, stay. And Samuel goes off, and as he goes, he's going to David. He's going to go anoint David. He doesn't know exactly which one it is, but he knows he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. And you'll remember that Saul lunged out for the robe, and it tore. Now Samuel comes, and the robe, he knows it's Samuel. And Scripture says he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage to him. What's happening here? Well, my take on it is that God allowed Samuel to visit Saul. Not because the medium summoned him, but because God is sovereign over all and he knows what's about to happen. I like the way John Woodhouse pointed out. He says, it seems far more likely the Lord sent Samuel to Saul on this evening, just as on a very different occasion, he sent Moses and Elijah to Jesus. Sovereign God, even in the middle of this, of this dumb and dark act by Saul, begging and pleading for rescue, begging and pleading for something to happen because God is always going to accomplish his purpose. So here, the medium is freaked out as it seems what is beyond normal. And when Samuel begins to speak, Saul knows the end is near. Samuel responded, and he begins in verse 15, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up 
Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Notice he left the priest off. He had them all killed, so he left them off the list. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. (laughs) There's no assurance in Samuel's response. There is no hope. There's nothing there what he's looking for. There's only judgment. Samuel's message has not changed from the first time he spoke on on God's behalf to Saul. And Samuel says in verse 16, Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And what he says in verse 18 and 19 will be carried out in chapter 31. What Samuel has pointed out is the epicenter of that collapse of Saul's reign is the heart of of that message. What he's saying, it's at the heart. It always is about the heart. The answer was not found in some magical ceremony or summoning the dead, but rather it is a pathway of repentance that Saul never traveled. He never owned up to his disobedience. He never turned away from his disobedience. Sure, there are moments in his story where he is sorry or full of sorrow for his sin. But it only seems to be when disaster finds him. He wants that blessing of God, but whenever the word of correction comes, suddenly he's got hearing loss. He doesn't want to hear it. He blocks that out. He doesn't want to hear that from Samuel. He doesn't want to hear it from the Lord. He only wants the good stuff. He wants protection from the Philistines. Of course, any of us would. But when we look at Saul, he is not at all concerned with repentance or cultivating a relationship with God. He's looking for rescue out of trouble. Friends, repentance that does not result in life change is not going to help you very much when you get into trouble and when your life ends. We don't just come to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, so sorry that I was such a fool. You remember that old song? It doesn't work that way. If we don't let the love of God and the truth of his word and the presence of his spirit bring life change and that we obey Jesus as Lord of our life. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we've got to consistently seek the Lord daily. When we began this year together, we took on the task of reading through the Old Testament five days a week. Yeah, I know it's tough at times. There's probably some more exciting things you think that are out there for you to be reading. But there are so many truths in the Old Testament as they point us to the cross and they point us to the one that really matters, which is Christ Jesus. 
I urge you, if you have not joined us in that journey, we're about halfway through now, get on board. If you need that list, just shoot me an email, and I'll get it to you. I'll email it to you. So you can follow along right where we are. But we have to know that we have to seek him in every high and every low. If you only look into him when you're in trouble or when life gets rough, then he's not the Lord of everything. He's not the Lord at all if he's not Lord of all. I also say it this way. If that's how you're treating God, you're treating him as a cosmic pimp, and he's not your cosmic pimp. He's not. He ain't your Santa Claus. J.D. Greer said it this way. He said, the danger is that we are prone to see God as a vehicle to avoid pain, suffering, or hell. In that case, we do not want God on his terms. We want whatever he can give us. Our God is the one who owns, a, was it, a thousand cattle on the seven hills or something like that. Like, he got it all. I really messed that one up, didn't I, honey? Thank you for laughing at me and humbling me this morning. See if you get any chocolate chip cookies later that somebody gave me today. You get what I'm saying. He's got it all. Colossians tells us that Christ holds everything in his hand. He's got it. He's holding it all together. We don't just go to him for whatever he can give us. Saul is wanting, he's wanting, his God's, he's wanting God's assurance that he's going to make it through this battle. But he doesn't even have God. He's not going to have God's presence. He turned away from God for so many times. So often did he turn away from God and not listen to the word of God through Samuel. Now God has brought judgment upon him. Friends, I'm telling you, sometimes I point this verse out and I feel like I'm in a broken record. Proverbs 29.1. Listen, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. God will turn you over to the desires of your heart if you don't repent. If you don't hear the word and submit yourself to the lordship of Christ, he will turn you over. Romans 1 says so. Proverbs 29.1 says so. Oh, hey, hey, what can I say? I'm a desperate man. That's where, exactly where Saul is. And if you want to be left alone, he'll leave you alone. And that's what's happened to Saul. He's disobeyed the Lord enough. The Lord has left him to his own demise. Friends, the Bible says, and it does not lie, the wages of sin is death. And Saul faces that in chapter 31. It would be a great ending to a fantastic movie that the king would charge with his men down the hill triumphantly on his trusted steed into battle and be the first to fall, but do so in bravery. Saul's hiding out. The Philistines overrun the army. He asks his armor bearer to kill him his armor bearer refused, and so he takes his own life and falls on his own sword. And then the armor bearer takes his own life. The Philistines come. They find his body. They cut off his head, hang his corpse from the wall of Beth Shan, put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, where they are now celebrating that victory, the king of Israel's army. is hanging in a temple to a fake and false foreign god being worshipped, that is a sad and dark ending to his reign. That hurts. But the truth is, is when we look at Saul's life, 
It's not a little truth. In my mind, it's quite earth-shattering, is that we are Saul. Saul didn't have a problem with the Philistines. He didn't have a problem with Goliath. Saul had a problem with Saul. If he had just turned to God, trusted God, trusted his word, what Samuel was telling him, followed that path and obeyed, rather than living for himself. But friends, we are no different. We are Saul. Scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Saul's failure to repent is one of the biggest issues of his life. It is made perhaps the central issue because we're all going to sin. It's like, what happens though? What is key is what you do with the gospel and what you're going to do with Jesus when he calls upon you to repentance. Saul never really repented. One, because repentance owns the sin. I'm guilty. I did it. It's me. There's no blame shifting. Adam tried that way back in Genesis. It doesn't work. God knew the truth. He knows. Repentance owns the sin. Repentance also results in a changed lifestyle. Just as Jesus told the woman who was caught in adultery where the Pharisees were trying to trick him and trap him, what did he tell her at the end? Go on and keep being a prostitute, keep being a floozy? No, he said, go and sin no more. That is life change. Jesus calls us to life change. And he calls us to walk in holiness and obedience. And repentance helps bring that about. It brings godly sorrow that, that leads us to salvation. That, it's not that we're, we're sorry and we're crying because we get caught. You remember as a kid getting caught? Maybe the waterworks will get me out of it. Godly sorrow is not turning waterworks on to get out of it. It's hurting because it has hurt the heart of God. It grieves him when his people sin. His goodness and his graciousness are treated as not important. We call it cheap grace. His grace is not cheap. Repentance also doesn't result in bargaining with God. Okay, I'll own up to this, God. I'll repent and turn away and try to do better if you do this for me. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is a, a heartfelt sorrow for sin, renouncing it and a commitment, a sincere commitment to forsake it, walk away from it, and to walk in obedience to Christ. It's not just a change of mind. It's also a change of life, a change of heart. What we see here in Saul is that Saul, in chapter 31, as one guy put it, Saul died the sinner's death. You know, it is coming for every single one of us, but God made a way. He made a way. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. Saul was looking for God's presence going into battle, but not at all the other times leading up to the battle in everyday life. But what we find in the scripture, in the story of the, uh, of the scripture is that God came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. That is the good news. Samuel came back in a very strange and odd, peculiar way. But Jesus came in a real, physical, human body, suffered death, and then was raised back to life on the third day in a real, physical body to which people witnessed him, touched him, spoke with him, ate with him, 
We're taught by him. Why does that matter? Because for us today, for the church, Jesus is the presence of God. It's all about Christ Jesus. God has lived among us. The fact that he came back from the dead. The last thing in Matthew's gospel that Jesus is recorded saying was right after the great, uh, the great commission where he said, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. That is still today, almost 2,000 years later. He is still with his church, his bride, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's still with us. So the call is still there to repent and turn to Christ because he has promised to be with you. He has promised to come in and every single day, everywhere and in every way. And to turn to Christ means that you are turning away from that sin. You are leaving it, renouncing it, walking away from it and turning to Christ. That is what it means for he is your Lord. He is your boss. It's not just to get out of hell free card, right? It's he is also our boss. Acts chapter 3 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, completely wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. That is Jesus. Repent and turn back. Finally, let me say that Saul wanted to hear from God. He wanted to hear from God. He was inquiring of the Lord. He wanted to hear, right? Well, I want to hear from the Lord. When I open up the Bible and I read, I'm hearing from the Lord. I'm reading his word. This is it. But we also look to Jesus because Jesus is that word. He is the word of God. We look to Christ. John 1, verses 1 and following. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. I referenced John Woodhouse earlier, who in his sermon referenced the transfiguration as a time when God sent Moses and Elijah to be with Jesus. There's three disciples there that witnessed that moment. We would do well to remember what God the Father says about his son Jesus. Remember what he said? He said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Saul wanted to hear from the Lord. The Lord was silent. We want to hear from the Lord. We turn to Jesus. The fullness of God. You don't need a horoscope. You don't need a fortune teller. You don't need tarot cards, a palm reader, or an app on your phone that's going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. The weather apps are all wrong anyway. It ain't going to rain until God says it's going to. You need Jesus. I wonder if anybody was tracking how many times the apps predicted a number for that billion dollars a couple weeks ago. Man. All you need is Jesus. When Samuel appeared to Saul, that was not a message of hope that he received the Lord's departed from you and become your enemy. That's the final word for Samuel. From Samuel to Saul, it is about war. The war's coming. And for Saul, it led to his death. But listen, the word from Jesus was this peace be with you. You understand the difference? Colossians chapter 1, verse 22 says, He has now reconciled his body. Of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became, uh, became a minister. We don't shift from the gospel. We find the firm ground underneath us, the foundation It's Christ Jesus. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus. And we stake our claim in the gospel. That we continue in the faith. How? By being stable and steadfast in the gospel. Not shifting from the hope that the world says is hope. But that's that's not hope. That's hopeless. The only hope we have is to stand stable and steadfast in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Saul, a lifetime of dishonoring God... One guy said, underweighting God will lead us to ruin. But by contrast, we'll see David. As we go further, we'll see David. And though flawed at times in his life, messed up at times, he still honors God by living in that relationship with him. But friends, don't get to the end of life which you don't really know when it's coming, wondering what might have been if you had taken Jesus at his word. Don't take that other road that leads to nowhere but death. Please, this morning, there is a way to know, and that way is Jesus. That instead of being, hey, hey, a desperate man like Saul, you can be a delivered man or woman like so many before you, like Paul, Timothy, Priscilla, Lydia, so many others.